Every family has an origin story, one passed down through the generations. Mine happens to be a mystery involving my great-great-grandmother left behind in Sicily. I'm Joe Piazza, and my new podcast will transport you to the gorgeous island of Sicily as I trace my roots back through a whodunit for the ages. Listen to The Sicilian Inheritance on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. As the number one audio company, iHeartMedia gives you access to all. Every audience, live conversations, trusted influencers, and the insights and data you need to grow. iHeartMedia is your access company. Go to iHeartResults.com for more. I'm Hannah Storm, and my new podcast, NBA DNA with Hannah Storm, chronicles my six decades in professional basketball. From growing up in the sport to becoming one of sports TV's first female broadcasters. Join me as I dig deep into the game's history, unearth some wild stories, and talk to my friends from the world of basketball, from Dr. J to Charles Barkley. It's been a wild ride, and now I get to take you with me. Listen to NBA DNA with Hannah Storm on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. More Than a Movie is back with Season 2. I'm your host, Alex Fumero. And each week, I'm going to talk to the people behind your favorite movies. From The Godfather, Andy Garcia. He has the smarts of Vito, the temper of Sonny, the warmth of Fredo, and the coldness of Michael. To the legend behind La Bamba, Lou Diamond Phillips. When I walked in, I didn't think I had a shot at Richie because John Stamos's picture was already up on the wall. Listen to more than a movie on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome to Long Shot. I'm executive producer Davin Coburn. This is our first season of audio documentaries at the intersection of sports and social change from McClatchy's newsrooms around the country. We're devoting this season to the story of Jim Duncan, at one time the most feared kickoff returner in the NFL, who helped lead the Baltimore Colts to their first Super Bowl title. But these documentaries are about far more than sports, much like Duncan's legacy. Nearly 50 years ago, Duncan, a black man, died suspiciously inside his hometown police station in the Deep South. And the questions surrounding his death and the events that followed are still painfully relevant today. The lead reporter for this season is Brett McCormick. He grew up not far from the town where Duncan died, and he spent three years investigating this story for the Herald in Rock Hill, South Carolina. He'll be your host for all eight episodes. A word of warning, this story takes place during the Civil Rights Movement. It contains adult language and adult themes. And now, from the Herald, McClatchy Studios, and iHeartRadio, this is Long Shot Season 1. Return Man. Second down nine. Goes up to Earl Morrill now, the other veteran quarterback. Earl Morrill, Johnny Unitas, and a team of destiny. The report on Johnny Unitas is that he does have a very, very slight hairline fracture in the right rib cage, and it is very doubtful he will see any more action this afternoon. Legends of the NFL's past and men who shared a sideline during the 1970 season when Morrill replaced an injured Unitas and led the Colts to their only Super Bowl title in Baltimore. Well, we're here in the Colts locker room again, the world champion Baltimore Colts, I should say. But what about the other hero of that game? Here's the kickoff, a short one. The leading kick returner in the entire NFL that year, 
Running up on it is Jim Duckin, a great kickoff returner to the 30. A lockdown defender who became a star of that Super Bowl, right alongside Morrill and Unitas. And a fumble, and the Colts have recovered. And it was Jimmy Duncan who drove in there and recovered that fumble. Yeah, those are some of the names that I heard growing up, you know, because we had the team picture. This is Morrill Unitas Clyburn. And with every day that passes, it seems fewer people remember the name of his oldest brother, Jim Duncan. Everybody that knew my brother, my family, held their arms out for me. Never had anyone say anything out of the ordinary or slight or anything, you know, derogatory towards my brother, my family, or anything like that towards me. But I didn't know him as a child. I basically met him through, you know, my brothers and sisters and my aunts and uncles who told me stories about him. They're stories of a man known around Lancaster, South Carolina as Butch. The most feared kick returner in the NFL who made this old mill town proud of their very own Super Bowl champion. The Baltimore Colts are the world professional football champions. That 1970 title came just weeks before Morrill was born. He was 24 years younger than Jim, even grew up in the house Jim bought with football money. Morrill has the name his oldest brother helped choose for him, commemorating the greatest season of Jim's life. A 99-yard kickoff return to start the second half. A life you think would be celebrated here in Lancaster. And the Baltimore Colts are out in front by a score of 20 to nothing. So why does it seem like so few people want to talk about Jim Duncan? The, the people that were old enough to remember it don't want to talk about it and relive and hash it out every time. Right. I mean, the story comes up all the time with my name being moral, right. you know, and so, right. you know, telling my oldest brother played with the Colts, he's deceased, you know. Oh, what happened? You know, I said, it was a parent's suicide in a police station. Anything's possible. But again, at the end of the day, the entire time I was growing up through high school, through college, never has this been something that anybody remotely seemed interested in talking about. One thing I've learned in the past few years, some questions don't have easy answers, or maybe any answers at all. The story was that my brother went into the police station, took a gun off of a police officer, and shot himself in the head. Most people don't believe that. I'm Brett McCormick, and I've spent the past three years in South Carolina investigating the life and death of Jim Duncan. I can tell you this story is full of questions like that. And then in many ways, Duncan's death, even nearly half a century later, even if it happened exactly the way authorities said it did, still makes almost no sense at all. It involves race, the mental state of the person, and a town that was scared to death to say anything. A Super Bowl champion, dead less than two years later. No autopsy performed, no fingerprint tests conducted, and no independent investigation done. An entire community left searching for answers. How did Jim Duncan end up dead on the floor of his local police station? He lived during the civil rights movement, and maybe that time is part of the answer. Anytime you walking around here singing, we shall overcome, the government has failed. Maybe. Hatred on the streets of Charlottesville simmering for 20 He hits the seat to Duncan. Duncan was an NFL kick returner. Duncan will come out with it. What if the toll of football took on his body is part of the answer? Look out. Duncan died in South Carolina 
and maybe the place is a factor. In South Carolina, a white former police officer was sentenced today to 20 years in the fatal shooting of an unarmed black man. But maybe it's not. CNN breaking news. The grand jury deciding not to indict Officer I grew up not far from Lancaster and took a job as sports editor at the Herald newspaper in Rock Hill, South Carolina. You'll hear some of the interviews in this podcast were done over the phone. Hi, my name is Brett McCormick. I work at a newspaper in South Carolina. When you're a sports department of one, you don't have much of a travel budget. Have you got some time to talk? But I have tracked down some of Duncan's old teammates and coaches, the lone surviving witness to his death and the family of the officer involved. What was your dad like just as a person? And I've spent hours with Duncan's family and his widow to understand more about an exceptional life that ended too soon. He was only 26, 26. What is clear is that the questions still surrounding Duncan's death are as relevant now as they were 50 years ago. I don't think there's anything unusual about Lancaster. If you took away the date and time, could you imagine that happening today? And the answer is yes, you can. From the Herald, McClatchy Studios, and iHeartRadio, this is Return Man, Part 1, The Milltown. In some ways, 1950s and 60s Lancaster was a model of Southern tranquility. 10,000 people lived here, filling the restaurants and clothing stores on Main Street. Depending on which side of Main Street you lived on, Lancaster's claim to fame at the time could have been that it was the birthplace of Maurice Williams. He and his group, the Zodiacs, met down the road at segregated Bar Street High School. Okay, engine stop. Both autos need an engine command override off. For others, Lancaster was known for a hometown astronaut. We copy it down, Eagle. That's Charlie Duke, the voice of Houston's mission control for the Apollo 11 moon landing. He later walked on the moon himself. Roger, Twain. Tranquility, we copy you on the ground. You got a bunch of guys about to turn blue. We're breathing again. Thanks a lot. Duke was a few years older than Duncan and went to the all-white Lancaster High School across town from Bar Street. Main Street has long been the racial dividing line in Lancaster. Whites lived on the west side of Maine, African-Americans on the east side. And if you were especially poor, like Duncan's family, you lived in a shotgun house east of Maine in a neighborhood called Newtown. Well, when I first came here in uh, 63, it really was a hick town. And uh, just Lancaster people associated, blacks sometimes, associated with each other. Floyd White is 86 now and still living here in Lancaster. He was an assistant coach on Jim's high school football team. Down here on the corner was a little old restaurant, like one little trolley car like you see in the movie. And it had on it, no niggas allowed. Really? In 63, no niggas allowed. Wow. Jim was the oldest of Ellery Clyburn's eight children. He had his father's last name, but no other relationship with the man. Two years after Jim was born, Ellery was pregnant with her second child, Elroy. Even though it was different fathers, we always were brothers, <laughs> not half-brothers. Elroy is 71 now and lives about an hour north on Interstate 77 in Charlotte. There was no, your dad is your dad and my dad is my dad. You know, it was just, that's the way we live, you know. Elroy was the closest to Jim, and not just in age. Growing up, they played sandlot football in Newtown, and on lazy afternoons, they hiked a few miles down to a local swimming hole. 
We swung on the pond that was snake infested. <laughs> go all the way to the middle and go down to the bottom of the pond. Whatever they got into, Elroy wanted to be as fearless as his older brother. Saw quite a few snakes. You know, I'm scared to death of a snake today. <laughs> Money was always tight. Jim and Elroy often took odd jobs for pocket change and to lighten the financial burden on their mother. We was poor, but we didn't know that we was poor. Yeah. During one of my visits to Elroy's home in the past few years, I asked him about that. Yeah. You didn't think about it? or Didn't think about it. Yeah. Mama always provided. Yeah. But we also had uh, hustles like cutting grass and just go around and knock on doors and see if we can rake some leaves. Or, you know, we made our little change. Elroy's biological father also left the picture early on, and that made the brothers even closer. We had a stepfather, and he used to be a, a brick contractor. So we built houses in Chesterfield, quite a few of them in Rock Hill. <laughs> yeah. Jim's most enduring father figure was that new man Elroy mentioned, a bricklayer named William McGriff. Jim used to help McGriff on construction sites, which not only earned him spending money, Floyd White remembers it paid off on the field, too. He worked with some bricklayers. And he had those hard hands, Allen blocks and bricks and things like that. Even if how he waved the ball as he ran drove his coaches crazy. And he always carried that ball in his hand like that. Oh, <laughs> just like that. He wouldn't like tuck it away. Yeah. Well, we always try to. They'll do it, you know, in practice. Mm-hmm. You know. And then when they get on the field, they come back <laughs> to him. You know. Yeah. At least he had strong hands. He had strong hands, strong arms. He could throw that ball from end zone to end zone. <laughs> Neighbors say Jim's mother was a quiet but imposing matriarch. Her formal education stopped after the seventh grade, but they say she had enough hard-earned wisdom for two lifetimes. The main picture painted of her is of a tall woman in glasses, with her hair parted in the middle and an unfiltered camel cigarette between her fingers. Jim probably got his height from her. By the time he got to high school, he was well on his way to six foot two. She's probably where he got his athleticism too. All eight of Ellery's children were offered some type of college sports scholarship. But Floyd White remembers that Jim's talent was something special. He kind of let stutter still. That's to the outside. To the 25. Gets a block. He's at the 30. And then look at the outside. Like a gazelle or something. Down the sideline. He'll go all the way. He's at the 30. The 20. The 10. He was a four-letter man, too. In the day. He would play football, outstanding basketball, baseball, and ran track for us, too. Yeah. Four-letter man. Yeah. Jim found his true calling on the gridiron for the Bar Street Golden Tigers, which in turn, Elroy tried to emulate, becoming a star quarterback in his own right. Bush was fast. He was like 4'3", 4'2", some days. I could do with my arm, because I was an accurate passer, and I copied as much as I could, but I couldn't copy the running, because I couldn't run at all. According to family lore, Jim was such an athlete, he beat opposing players on the field then went and took their money off it. Coming up into town, it's about a block away from Main Street. Okay. Bush used to hustle up there, man. I'm talking about eight ball, nine ball, and nine ball. mostly nine ball, because that was the gambling. Turns out, Jim was also good at shooting pool, and Elroy says it was an easy way for his brother to make a little more money in and around Lancaster. We didn't only just go there. We, like, went to Payton, McBee, all those little uh, 
small towns around. And uh, did uh, Butch have like his own pool cue, or did he just use the cues that were at the? He had his own. He had his own. Mm-hmm. His own stick. So he was truly a shark. <laughs> yeah, he used to shock all around there. It was amazing. It was amazing. We'll be back after the break. I never thought I'd take my three young kids to Sicily to solve a century-old mystery, but that's what I'm doing in my new podcast, The Sicilian Inheritance. Join us as we travel thousands of miles on the beautiful and crazy island of Sicily, as I trace my roots back through a mystery for the ages and untangle clues within my family's origin story, which has morphed like a game of telephone through the generations. Was our family matriarch killed in a land deal gone wrong? Or was it by the Sicilian Mafia? A lover's quarrel? Or was she, as my father believed, a witch? Listen to The Sicilian Inheritance on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Hannah Storm, and my podcast, NBA DNA with Hannah Storm, digs deep into the history of professional basketball, along with my own as one of the first female sportscasters. Now let's get you up to speed on what else happened around the NBA today. We talked to all sorts of people I interacted with, from Dr. J to Charles Barkley, and recap iconic moments. Yes, he's got it. Here he comes. Ray rock the baby to sleep and slam dunk. As well as some of the wild stories behind the scenes. We were like, what? What are we in for? The scoreboard crashes before we even tip a game off. Today, the NBA is a global sports and entertainment giant. Players are multimillionaires and cultural icons. Iguodala to Curry, back to Iguodala, up for the layup. Oh, blocked by James. LeBron James. And these stories are about how we got here, both on and off the court. And what's next? Listen to NBA DNA with Hannah Storm on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. More Than a Movie is back with season two of the award-winning film podcast, and this time with a lot more movies. I'm your host, Alex Fumero, and each week I'm going to talk to the people behind some of my favorite movies. From The Godfather, Andy Garcia. He has the smarts of Vito, the temper of Sonny, the warmth of Fredo and the coldness of Michael. To the OG spy kid, Alexa Penavega. You had Carlo Gugino, who's the coolest mom ever. You had Antonio, who's handsome, amazing, charismatic. And then Carvin and Juni. I felt like a lot of other kids felt like this could be me. To the legend behind La Bamba, Lou Diamond Phillips. When I walked in, I didn't think I had a shot at Richie because John Stamos's picture was already up on the wall. Every episode will feature interviews with the biggest actors, directors, writers, and producers behind your favorite films and tap into the history of Latinos in film. Listen to More Than a Movie as part of the My Cultura Podcast Network, available on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. The Big Take from Bloomberg News brings you what's shaping the world's economies with the smartest and best-informed business reporters around the world. Western nations like the U.S. and Europe Mexico will likely have its first female president. And then you have China. And help you understand what's happening, what it means, and why it matters. He'll get his yo-yos to Europe in time. But the longer this drags on, the more worry he's getting. They knew that they needed to do this as fast as they possibly could to get a drug on the market as fast as they could. I'm David Gura. I'm Sarah Holder. I'm Saleh Mosin. We cover the stories behind what's moving money and markets. 
basically everyone was expecting, if not a calamity, certainly a recession. But the problem is that that paperwork, as our reporting showed, is fake. As someone who's covering the market, I'm often very worried about an imminent collapse. I'm thinking about it quite often. Listen to The Big Take on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Our Street High School was named by its students after a major road on the side of town where most black people lived. It was a clear improvement over the school's previous names, Lancaster Training School and Lancaster Colored High School. But, you know, during that time, you grew up in an area where certain things you didn't do, certain places you didn't go. Sure. And vice versa for the white race. Glenn Crawford grew up down the street from Duncan's family. I sat down in Lancaster with Crawford and another of Duncan's childhood friends, Thomas Howes. And they carried on just like two people who'd known each other for 70 years. Restaurants, the movie theater, certain areas, you did not go there. You remember the Dairy Queen? Yeah. Yeah. What about the Dairy Queen? Well, the Dairy Queen was... So ice cream. It's so ice cream, but it was, you may well say it was integrated, but they discriminated as well. You know? If black and whites was there, we had different wonders we would go to. Yeah. It wasn't really the name of it, wasn't Dairy Queen, was no, it? I, I forgot the name of it. Off the top or something like uh, that. I don't but think it wasn't Dairy Queen. No, not that yeah. Dairy Queen, no. When Jim was growing up, all the white students in town went to Lancaster Senior High. Public bathrooms were segregated, and one of the water fountains behind that ice cream shop was labeled colored. Jim could have been tossed in jail for using the wrong one. By 1961, nearby Rock Hill was experiencing a fiery civil rights transition. If you're happy with the communist and the Negro running affairs of your country, then I'll say you sit back down on your tail and let them run it because that's what you want. There, a group of black college students sat down at McCrory's lunch counter, but were denied service. They refused to leave and were arrested, later becoming known as the Friendship Nine. Even Chuck Berry acknowledged bypassing Rock Hill in his song about a cross-country bus trip called Promised Land. At that Rock Hill Greyhound station, future Georgia Congressman John Lewis was beaten for trying to enter the whites-only waiting room. I didn't think I'd ever see the day when I'd find out who I beat up at the bus station in Rock Hill. His attacker, Elwin Wilson, later repented to my colleague here at the Herald, Andrew Dice. Wilson then apologized to Lewis and even appeared on CNN. It all started off in the local newspaper. And well, you got the I chance. feel like I'm apologizing to the world right now. In Lancaster, though, just about everyone I spoke to said that few people challenged segregation. The community was close. We were an African village. Lancaster native Michael Bogan attended Bar Street School a few years after Duncan. Today he lives about an hour south in Columbia, South Carolina, but he's still active in Bar Street's Alumni Foundation. Those were the good old days when if I did something wrong, by the time I got home, somebody had called my mom and told her I had done something. <laughs> I never had a key to my house the whole time I grew up in Lancaster. We never locked the front door. And if somebody walked on our property while we were not there, some neighbor would say, hey, come here, who is your people? There was no biting, there was no shooting, there were no drugs. 
people trying to survive. Ellery Clyburn worked as a housekeeper and nanny for Tom Mangum, who was then a state representative. Her daily interactions with the Mangum family would have been one of the few times in Lancaster when a black person entered a white home. But Elroy said another time was for football, where the one field in town was home to both white and black players. We played uh, at Lancaster Senior High. Okay, so you played on their field? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Okay. For football games. Right. For baseball games, we played at, uh, down at the American Legion. At Bar Street, Floyd White remembers Jim led the Golden Tigers to an undefeated season and at least one appearance in a championship game. High school records here from 65 years ago, especially from segregated schools, are nearly impossible to find. But we know that for some of his Bar Street career, Jim's head coach was Roosevelt Gilliam. He went by the nickname Sandy and was an important South Carolina sports figure in his own right. Gilliam coached football, basketball, and baseball at a pair of black high schools in the state, and he compiled a total record of 235 wins and just 23 losses. So Jim couldn't have lost many games under him in whatever sport he was playing. Butch was an outstanding athlete from a little boy. He was, he was good. <laughs> and he was Crawford and house again. He was good in football, baseball, and basketball. He probably could have won pro in it. Yeah. <laughs> he was that type of athlete. Yeah. Most of all of his brothers were about the same. Was he famous in town? Yeah. Famous among white people? Yeah. Yeah. Oh. We'll be back after this. I never thought I'd take my three young kids to Sicily to solve a century-old mystery, but that's what I'm doing in my new podcast, The Sicilian Inheritance. Join us as we travel thousands of miles on the beautiful and crazy island of Sicily, as I trace my roots back through a mystery for the ages and untangle clues within my family's origin story, which has morphed like a game of telephone through the generations. Was our family matriarch killed in a land deal gone wrong? Or was it by the Sicilian Mafia? A lover's quarrel? Or was she, as my father believed, a witch? Listen to The Sicilian Inheritance on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Hannah Storm, and my podcast, NBA DNA with Hannah Storm, digs deep into the history of professional basketball, along with my own as one of the first female sportscasters. Now let's get you up to speed on what else happened around the NBA today. We talked to all sorts of people I interacted with, from Dr. J to Charles Barkley, and recap iconic moments. Yes, he's got it. Here he comes. Ray rocked the baby to sleep and slammed up. As well as some of the wild stories behind the scenes. We were like, what? What are we in for? The scoreboard crashes before we even tip a game off. Today, the NBA is a global sports and entertainment giant. Players are multimillionaires and cultural icons. Iguodala to Curry, back to Iguodala, up for the layup. Oh, blocked by James. LeBron James. And these stories are about how we got here, both on and off the court. And what's next? Listen to NBA DNA with Hannah Storr on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. More Than a Movie is back with season two of the award-winning film podcast, and this time with a lot more movies. I'm your host, Alex Fumero, and each week I'm going to talk to the people behind some of my favorite movies. From The Godfather, Andy Garcia. He has the smarts of Vito, the temper of Sonny. 
the warmth of Fredo and the coldness of Michael. To the OG spy kid, Alexa Penavega. You had Carlo Gugino, who's the coolest mom ever. You had Antonio, who's handsome, amazing, charismatic. And then Carmen and Juni. I felt like a lot of other kids felt like this could be me. To the legend behind La Bamba, Lou Diamond Phillips. When I walked in, I didn't think I had a shot at Richie because John Stamos's picture was already up on the wall. Every episode will feature interviews with the biggest actors, directors, writers, and producers behind your favorite films and tap into the history of Latinos in film. Listen to More Than a Movie as part of the My Cultura Podcast Network, available on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. The Big Take from Bloomberg News brings you what's shaping the world's economies with the smartest and best-informed business reporters around the world. Western nations like the U.S. and Europe Mexico will likely have its first female president. And then you have China. And help you understand what's happening, what it means, and why it matters. He'll get his yo-yos to Europe in time. But the longer this drags on, the more worry he's getting. They knew that they needed to do this as fast as they possibly could to get a drug on the market as fast as they could. I'm David Gura. I'm Sarah Holder. I'm Saleh Mosin. We cover the stories behind what's moving money and markets. Basically, everyone was expecting, if not a calamity, certainly a recession. But the problem is that that paperwork, as our reporting showed, is fake. As someone who's covering the market, I'm often very worried about an imminent collapse. I'm thinking about it quite often. Listen to The Big Take on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. During Jim's lifetime... There was one other place in Lancaster where African-Americans regularly crossed paths with whites. On the south side of town, where a giant cotton mill loomed large as a modern symbol of early American history. When you mention the South, most people think of cotton. In South Carolina, planters of those days would look with astonishment at King Cotton's empire today. It's been said that if slavery was the cornerstone of the Confederate South, cotton was its foundation. If 1950s Lancaster was an industrial powerhouse of South Carolina, its foundation was a cotton mill built in the late 1800s and the years following the Civil War in a time of extraordinary change in the South. You'll see them wherever you drive in the textile belt, such giant mills as this one in Lancaster, largest cotton mill ever constructed under a single roof. This documentary was created in the early 1950s by the Humble Oil and Refining Company. Here, plentiful raw materials, abundance of power, and skilled craftsmanship combine to build an ever-growing industry, not only in mills that spin and weave, but those that bleach and dye and finish the cloth as well. What is happening is this huge mass migration off the farms, and so people are looking for the best opportunities that they could get. Right. So you have to look at it both ways to understand. Vernon Burton is a history professor at Clemson University and an expert on mill towns in the South. He grew up in one himself. These were proud folks on the mill. Yeah. There really was a sense of community, almost family among people. Right. And there's no doubt the outsized influence of the mill owners or the mills on the community. When I was a boy, he'd pick up people's laundry. Thanksgiving and Christmas, we delivered turkeys and baskets. They had their own police force, even. The factory in Lancaster was owned by Leroy Springs, and by the time Jim Duncan was born, that Springs factory had grown into one of the largest cotton mills in the state. 
Around it, a mill village had been created where thousands of workers lived with their families. The whole system reflected the poverty of the South after the Civil War and these industrialists set up these mills and they wanted to secure a ready supply of labor. Timothy Minchin is the author of Hiring the Black Worker, a history of racial integration in the textile industry of the American South. Their thinking was, well, if we build these towns and provide the housing, we can have them here and they'll work in our mills and we'll have them like as a labor supply right there, contained, if you like, rather than them being on the land. As the mill prospered, the Springs family's control over Lancaster grew. Leroy Springs established the local bank. He was the chief partner in the local railroad. And when his son Elliot took over the family business, the Springs family built the hospital in town. Elliot Springs then built a massive park nearby for mill families, complete with a pool and amphitheater that reportedly hosted Patsy Cline and early Dolly Parton concerts. But not Johnny Cash. Elliot reportedly associated him with marijuana use and didn't want that influence in Lancaster. All of that is important context about the place that shaped Jim's life and potentially events that caused his death. When I grew up now, there was segregation, of course. It was not integration. Burton remembers a similar controlling dynamic in his childhood mill town. And there were three kinds of segregation. The black kids went to their school, the rural kids, and the town kids went to our school. And then at least to the fourth grade, the mill kids went to school on the mill. And part of that was inculcating them to believe that they're going to be just mill workers, you know. It was very, very contained society in many ways built upon the idea of the old slave plantation, supposedly. South Carolina, where shaded moss-hung highways carry the traveler into another era. Any comparison to slavery will feel pretty loaded these days, but it also feels particularly relevant here. Back to colonial days, to old plantation roads, and the great plantation houses, mellowed by the passing of the year. The institutionalized segregation African-Americans faced in Lancaster was a direct result of Supreme Court decisions in the wake of the Civil War that legalized Jim Crow laws. It's another effort on the part of the president to dominate the country by force and to put into effect these uncalled for and these damnable proposals he has recommended under the guise of so-called civil rights. This 1948 convention speech by then-South Carolina Senator Strom Thurmond sums up what many people here thought of separate but equal. And I tell you, the American people from one side or the other had better wake up and oppose such a program, and if they don't, the next thing will be a totalitarian state in the United States. Prior to the Civil War, almost 60% of the population of South Carolina had been enslaved. Today, 80% of the black population of the United States can trace its ancestry back through South Carolina. The loss of the war and the loss of free slave labor destroyed South Carolina's economy. The state was one of the poorest in the nation for the next hundred years. Cotton mills like Springs offered relief from the economic hardship for everyone. By the time Jim Duncan was winning games at Bar Street High, Springs Mill was generating $2 million a year in revenue. I mean, everybody, you knew what the Springs did. Yeah. Michael Bogan remembers the mill became a progressive force for integration, at least by South Carolina's standards. It seemed the only color Springs saw was green, just so long as no one stepped out of line. Springs controlled Lancaster. 
So most black folks in Lancaster, you didn't rock that boat. Okay. And those black folks did not want to feel that they would lose their jobs. Yeah. You stayed in place. And Vernon Burton, the Clemson historian who worked at a mill as a teenager, had a note of caution about integration and the sort of work African-Americans were doing at mills in the 60s. They were there on the weekend with me cleaning up or working with some of the unpleasant jobs. Yeah. Yeah. We used to laugh because uh, one bad thing I used it with the black workers and we would laugh about how we were breaking the law. Right. So I think not to take away from them that they're doing a good thing by pushing for integration. True. But I think you should never forget that there's no doubt in South Carolina at that time period, very white supremacist, very dedicated to white privilege and not understanding at all what they're doing and perpetuating. So that's the culture you're dealing with. And it's not just insisted. They're clueless. Before every fall, there must be a rise. And Jim Duncan's rise took him to places no one else from Lancaster has ever gone. On part two of Return Man. My father would have said Butch may have represented one of the greatest athletes he's ever coached. Deep for the cult, Jim Duncan. He has such great speed and quickness. If he did nothing else, he could break one in a close game and you win. The NFL, if you can really play, you get instant credibility. He can flat out play. We all have the same problem. They don't hang you because you're a Baptist. They hang you because you're black. There's a change in the environment. They have a chance to see the brighter side of life instead of all the negative side, you see. I'm Brett McCormick. Return Man is a production of The Herald, McClatchy Studios, and iHeartRadio. It's produced by Matt Walsh, Kara Tabor, Kata Stevens, Rachel Wise, and Davin Coburn. The executive producer for iHeartRadio is Sean Titone. For lots more on this story, go to heraldonline.com slash returnman. If you have any additional information about Jim Duncan's life or death, email us at returnman at heraldonline.com. To continue supporting this kind of work, visit heraldonline.com slash podcasts and consider a digital subscription. And for more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows. Every family has an origin story, one passed down through the generations. Mine happens to be a mystery involving my great-great-grandmother left behind in Sicily. I'm Joe Piazza, and my new podcast will transport you to the gorgeous island of Sicily as I trace my roots back through a whodunit for the ages. Listen to The Sicilian Inheritance on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Hannah Storm, and my new podcast, NBA DNA with Hannah Storm, chronicles my six decades in professional basketball. From growing up in the sport to becoming one of sports TV's first female broadcasters. Join me as I dig deep into the game's history, unearth some wild stories, and talk to my friends from the world of basketball. From Dr. J to Charles Barkley. It's been a wild ride, and now I get to take you with me. Listen to NBA DNA with Hannah Storm on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. 
More Than a Movie is back with season two. I'm your host, Alex Fumero. And each week, I'm going to talk to the people behind your favorite movies. From The Godfather, Andy Garcia. He has the smarts of Vito, the temper of Sonny, the warmth of Fredo, and the coldness of Michael. To the legend behind La Bamba, Lou Diamond Phillips. When I walked in, I didn't think I had a shot at Richie because John Stamos' picture was already up on the wall. Listen to more than a movie on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Saleya Mosin, and I've covered economic policy for years and reported on how it impacts people across the United States. In 2016, I saw how voters were leaning towards Trump and how so many Americans felt misunderstood by Washington. So I started The Big Take D.C., We dig into how money, politics, and power shape government and the consequences for voters. With new episodes every Thursday, you can listen to The Big Take DC on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.